what I'm just saying is, right, if you're going to have an entire deck that's flooded, right, I should be allowed to use that as a swimming pool. I think the... I think... Right? Because it doesn't feel the same in, in the hollow deck. And if somebody turns off the hollow deck and I'll fall out of it into the, into the ground, that's ruined me day. My question would be one, though, of cultural appropriation. Is it okay for us to describe just a, a bunch of water just lying around as a swimming pool? Or do you think cetacean orbs will... Hold on a minute. Oh, Does it suddenly feel more evil in here? Uh, uh, I don't know. I've suddenly got the feeling that I'm avoiding doing completely different work to what I was five minutes ago. Has O'Brien's private keg of Guinness just suddenly disappeared? Where'd you get that belt? Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. It's ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Stardate 62. These are the continued voyages of Mark and Eddie as we go through all of Star Trek. Mark, how you been? How you doing? Hi, yeah, good. Thank you. Um, I got house insurance today. Oh, nice. That's an adult thing that I've done recently. <laughs> um, really makes you uh, really makes you question really what it's all worth, doesn't it? Quite literally. Um. Turns out, uh, pretty, pretty much what I was expecting, yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> we're doing we're doing life insurance soon. Oh that's, yeah, that's that's, that's going to be a heavy day. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, I had to do that. So that you, they make you uh, when you get a mortgage, they're like, "Oh, you should take out life insurance to do this." So that was that was a fun conversation with our uh, mortgage broker because obviously. You go through. It was going. Oh, I can get you signed up for the life insurance at the time. So he goes. Well, we'll start with. We'll start with Emma, and Emma has to go. So uh, I've uh, I've had a brain tumor uh, that was quite severe several years ago, um, and like the guys. Oh yeah, that's no problem. That's that's fine. And then I go right. I have two brain tumors now, uh, <laughs> and basically the insurance went well. Best of luck to you. Uh, <laughs> we're not touching that with a fucking stick. <laughs> Some planet, isn't it? How are you doing? Fortunately, I'm good. I'm good. I'm pretty good. I, I've got to say, I, I've I, much like you, Mark. I, I watched a bit of the coronation. We live in a deeply weird country. Uh, <laughs> I just got so annoyed because I, I didn't watch it for fun um <laughs> my, my, my brother came round and we stuck it on just to see some of the train wreck and we managed to come in just just at the right time because it was when uh they put the they put the like the shields up around the throne the box around him yeah, yeah so that no one could see what was going on and i'm like hold on a minute i'm paying for this 
What extra subscription service do I need to give to get eyes on what's happening in there? Yeah. What is um, happening in there? That's the question I've got. Yeah. Because I think it's got something to do with him <laughs> being naked, I guess. Do they... Is it like with the Pope where they have to put them on a stool with a hole in the bottom and check they've got testicles because that one time a lady tricked their way into becoming Pope or something like that? I can't remember the exact details. I mean, I assume <laughs> that if that wasn't a policy before, the current Tory government have <laughs> installed it. They put, they just, they just, they just, they just, uh, they, they drill a big hole out of the, the stone of destiny, uh, which is a thing that's underneath the chair that he's sitting on and install a CCTV camera that points up. Now, I've this I need to ask you about, because you're Scottish, so you'll know. Yeah. So the, the Stone of Destiny, otherwise known as the Stone of Scone, gets... The, sta- the, the Stain of Scone. Right, okay. And it gets brought down... What, it's kept, like, in a magic cave or something? So from what uh, I understand, <laughs> um, it was stolen by the English, as you can probably imagine. Um... It then, doesn't sound like us. I know, right? And then <laughs> after the, I don't know this. I'm just this is things I've put together from Reddit comments. Um, but I think I think that it was stolen, and then it was used in every coronation. Uh, and then after the, the 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 union, the Treaty of Union, it became like an official thing because you're becoming the 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 king the, or the queen of Scotland and England. Um, yeah. And then in the 70s, maybe the 60s or the 70s, a bunch of Scottish nationalists tried to steal it back and <laughs> didn't succeed. Um, right. This, I believe, was also the plot of an episode of Highland of the series. Um, <laughs> it's I, also significantly the plot of the Terry Pratchett novel, FUD. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and then in, in the 90s, they just gave it back to us. Right. So it, so it lives in Scotland, but it travels down for coronations, which, given the, given the evidence of our own eyes, means that they might as well just keep it down there for now. But, so it's, yeah. Like, if we, if we were given the option in Scotland, they're like, look, either we can all collectively pay for it to come back on the train, or we just leave it, and it means that we don't have to pay for another train journey and... 18 months <laughs> I mean it is when all said and done just a rock uh, <laughs> it, but it, if you didn't watch the correlation it was basically like a Monty Python sketch yeah. like Penny Penny Morden had a blade so it was literally strange women distributing swords is no basis for a system of government <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of yeah because yeah there was a lot of swords involved what was um, the little stick that he had that had a seagull on the end? I don't. Is he the king of the seagulls now? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've no idea. I uh, I had to speak to a lot of Americans about this uh, over the right, last couple okay. of weeks, and uh, many of them were, were like, "Oh, we're coming over to London. Like, should we just avoid it that week?" I'm like, "Yeah." Well, I said, "But the thing is, right, the Saturday's going to be mental." Because of all the lunatics, um, but other than that, you are about to see. You are about to get a crash course in unenthusiasm. <laughs> I did. I was out for a friend's birthday. That's uh, the other day, and um, I was deliberately ushering us towards the pubs that had the least 
what I consider the minimal viable level of, of bunting. Like, if you're a pub, yeah. you have to put a bit of bunting up because it's the coronation. But I saw a place that had, like, one strand very sadly over the door, and I was like, that's where we're drinking. <laughs> we, um... Celtic won the league yesterday. <laughs> and uh, if, you, if you're not aware of the sectarian divide that... that caves that carves straight basically straight down the middle of glasgow uh celtic are the are the irish republican team for, for lack of a better <laughs> way to put it um so uh so yeah it was it was quite quite a weekend up here uh bunch, bunch of people on saturday feeling very happy about something and then sunday feeling very not happy about something else yeah, which is cl- classic protestant behavior uh this weekend has had something for everyone because yeah. if you're not a fan of that, um, the Tories lost a thousand and eighty-three seats at the local election, yep. which is <laughs> if you don't like the monarchy, that's good news to you in general. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Star Trek. What a great episode this was. We watched an episode this week entitled "We're Sorry, Denise." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was I I have stopped looking ahead at what the episodes are going to be, and I sat down like literally earlier about uh, two hours ago to watch this because uh, I leave things to the last minute, uh, and it came up that it was yesterday's Enterprise, and my exact response was, "Oh fuck yeah, yeah, <laughs> great! Yeah. This is a fucking brilliant episode." Uh, with if you don't know, four pl- four credited writers. Really, and two credited story buys. Fucking hell! Yeah, this should be a mess. Yeah, uh, and it's not. And that's so. The plot is: there's a weird thing in space, and it turns out it's the Enterprise C, and it's been flung forward in time twenty years, and as a result, the timeline has now changed, and the Starfleet is at war with the Klingon Empire, uh, and. Like billions of people have died, yeah, and they basically have to decide whether to send the Enterprise C back to basically go on a suicide mission, but in doing so, probably like change the course of history, so the war never happens. Yeah, it's Laura and I just watched. Uh, a, I we've been revisiting the Good Place. Oh, well, she's good revisiting place. it. I'm visiting it for the first time. How far into the good place are you? We're about well, we're about halfway, th- or we're a little chunk into season two. Uh, I have so a, you know the twist. Yes, you, I have a yes, weird okay. history with the good place. Right, uh, the good place is one of these shows that people who know me really well in the past have said it's like someone made a show specifically for you. Um, and uh, I kind of get that. Like I, I like ethics. I love kind of interesting questions and and sort of the 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 nihilistic view of of like does ethics work in a universe where people exist which really is is, as far as i can tell the 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 theme uh of of the good place um but there's something about i've tried it like three times and we always get to episode three and i'm like i'm out and i don't know what it is about that episode that specifically that i don't like but there's something in that episode that always tells me this is going nowhere um even though I know it goes somewhere, it's really weird. But um, sort yeah. of on. And this week we, or today we watched the trolley problem episode, <laughs> um, 
where it's a great Ch- one. Chibi's trying to teach Michael about the trolley problem, and Michael is kind of like, well, the thing about the trolley problem is that it's theoretical. There's no stakes, so we're gonna we're gonna just do it for real. Um, and this episode of Star Trek is just the trolley problem writ large. Yes, yes, it is. And equally, I fully get what you're saying with the Good Place because season one of the Good Place has one of the strongest setups I've ever seen from a sitcom. And one of the strongest payoffs I've ever seen from a sitcom. And the rest of the series is there. But you need it to appreciate what the show does yeah. in like from then on. So if you like I, I I know when it comes to TV recommendations, people always might always hate it's like, oh, it doesn't even get good till season four. No, just watch the good place. There are only four seasons. It is one hundred percent worth your time. Speaking about other TV shows doing well, um, have you been keeping up with Barry? Uh, I haven't. I haven't. I need to watch Barry. I've been told it's it's great. So there's four episodes to go, and then it's right. done. And if the writers strike, obviously, yeah. solidarity with the WGA, um, if the writers' strike doesn't affect it, which really it shouldn't, they should have at least done the production by now. Um, yeah. This Barry, I think, could be shaping up to be a more satisfying full run than Breaking Bad. Because oh. Breaking Bad is like, like sit down with a serious Breaking Bad fan, and they'll be like, "It is perfect television," until they basically ended it at the end of season four, and then have season five to wrap things up. Yeah. Barry isn't doing that. Barry looks like it's 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 skipping that part. <laughs> and it looks like it's all just going to end and uh, end basically terribly for everyone involved which what else can you do there's no jokes in it anymore it's not a comedy anymore um, <laughs> what is it about captivating television what is it about recently TV shows starting as a comedy and then like just going actually like season like for example the Orville seems yeah. actually let's just be really high concept fucking next generation fan fiction yeah well I guess there is that thing of like um like if you want a really if you want a really good serious actor find a comedian like, yeah comedy actors are amazing at doing really serious stuff uh but with Barry it's it is it's like Bill Hader had this idea in his head of this really serious old school French uh, cinema TV show that he wanted to make, but just because he's Bill Hader, he has to put jokes in it. So over <laughs> over the years of Barry, like the jokes have been getting less and less and less. That last episode was harrowing, uh, <laughs> harrowing television. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're right. It, like the the Orville. As soon as the Orville changed channel and they asked him, Seth, what do you want to do? And he's like, uh, I want to make a 70-minute treatise on the guilt that comes from suicidal feelings. <laughs> oh, that sounds funny. Who's, who, what are the jokes? There are no jokes. I don't think I pushed the metaphor for trans rights as far as I could do it. So I want to do an episode in which a child gets beaten. <laughs> uh, just to really hammer home the point. Also, Dolly Parton's going to be in it. That's a holdover, <laughs> but it works. Um, <laughs> so I'm reading, I'm reading the making of, uh, of of Yesterday's Enterprise here, and it's, it's actually kind of interesting. 
So this is this is like a beloved episode. Like this, yeah. This is an episode that people will go back to to the point where it seems that there is a book chronicling the making of just this episode. Um, <laughs> right. It was originally a spec script. Uh, oh. Which, if you know, so if you don't know how television works, basically, uh, if you want to be a writer in television, certainly back in the in the network days, you would provide spec scripts of other shows, right? You would never, ever, ever put in a script for the show that you want to work on, because then the it, it, the the problem of well, who came up with this idea? Did we pay them? Yeah, they're not legally speaking. Studios don't networks don't even open a spec script that's for like they will not read it so that they can legitimately then say if an episode they do happens to have something in common with something you wrote we never read that yeah so for example um we uh, for some reason that the internet has decided to become obsessed with donald glover's hiring on 30 rock recently um all right because i guess there hasn't been enough news in the world so everything's fine all of the online um, rags have been trying to um, basically a situation that any 30 Rock or any comedy fan was already aware of um, and twist it into making Tina Fey sound like the bad guy uh, because Tina Fey told Donald Glover he was a diversity hire which is objectively true but you're kind of missing out the key points of the story which is that back yeah. in when they were making 30 Rock, uh, they were given like a fund that didn't come out of their budget to bring in diverse writers. Donald Glover, who was like 24 at the time, which is sickening, um, or maybe, maybe <laughs> even younger, uh, wrote a spec script for an episode of The Simpsons that is... I, I, I remember reading from someone uh, saying, like, this is the best episode of The Simpsons no one will ever see. Um, yeah, and uh, from that he got hired on Thirty Rock because Tina was like, "Well, I can bring on this incredible writer, and it won't affect her budget." Um, so of course I'm going to tell him because he'll think that's funny, which he yeah. does. Like he he'll happy Donald Glover will open up to it. He'll be like, "Yeah, I got hired as a diversity, but also I got hired on Thirty Rock." Yeah, it's like you try to make Tina Fey the bad guy in that for giving Donald Glover a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for potentially giving us community's greatest asset um, yeah and it like if 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 nothing else it gave us this is america ha- happened as yeah. a song because yeah so yeah it's fine uh, <laughs> yeah exactly um but uh but this one in particular it, it seems like it had a really long uh history because it was whoop, uh it was submitted as a spec script uh it was then read by a few of the producers they were also like, oh, this is pretty good. Uh, Michael Piller uh, then requested a deal to purchase the story, which is why there's a story buy. Um, right, okay. And then I guess it went to four other writers up until uh, Ron- Ronald D. Moore, who obviously wrote the, the best version. Yeah, there's like... there's Oh, man, there's, there's like... I, I guess uh, super... Oh, the Writers Guild of America... Uh, objected to the two guys receiving a story by credit. Uh, it looks like there was a lot of controversy, but unfortunately, we didn't do a lot of um, research on this episode, so if you know what those things yeah. were about, congratulations. Yeah. My biggest question is, I want to know at what point was the decision made 
to essentially make this a Tasha Yar episode and like have to phone Denise Cosby and like going, you know this, you know that Star Trek show, it's good now. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't you feel silly for leaving? Would you like to to come back on board for one episode? And I feel like this episode, at some point in the writing process, somebody who felt bad for how both Denise Cosby, the actress, was treated because she decided she didn't want to be in Star Trek, which based on Star Trek season one is fair. Yeah. Right? And then she made that decision, decides to, to leave. Not only did they do the actress dirty, but they also didn't come up with anything particularly satisfying for the character. Like, in this very episode, Guinan says, uh, what was it? Is It was an empty, pointless death. Yeah. Which, you know, is a great thing to say to somebody who's dealing with the fact that the timeline's about to be reset and they are going to be dead. It's just to go, oh, don't worry, though. Your death was, was utterly, utterly pointless. <laughs> yep. Um, I... I guess, like, because, but they're. If you're Denise Crosby, and I can't, I can't remember, but I, I feel like Denise Crosby falls into the annoyingly recurring category of a female cast member who basically took the job on Star Trek because she herself loves Star Trek, and then was so beaten down by Rick Berman's behaviour. Uh, that she vowed to never, ever, ever even like the series again, uh, which, from what I understand, is the experience of more than one person. Um, yeah, because the thing is, as well, like Kate Mas- Gates McFadden left as well. Yeah. Like that's what the thing she left, and they didn't do this to her character. They didn't casually murder Bev. No, and then have Orphan Wesley hanging around like the ghost of the feast. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's um, but it, but it is kind of that, like there there is a satisfaction to that though, of, um, Guinan, especially I think Whoopi Goldberg was the correct choice to have Tasha speak to, because she they didn't know each other. Guinan came on the ship after Tasha Yar died, yeah. which we kind of approached in the episode, but having Guinan be the one, Whoopi Goldberg like. From what I understand, when Whoopi Goldberg requested to be on Star Trek, they didn't believe her. Uh, because she no. was huge. She'd just done The Colour Purple, she'd just won an Oscar, and she had to get LeVar Burton to convince the producers that she wasn't taking the piss. Yeah, um, she only wanted a bit part as well. She would like happy to be a one-off yeah. recurring uh, alien, and they just went, well, if you want to be in it, we could make you the barman as a recurring character. Yeah. Because... She so like the the story basically goes that Whoopi Goldberg basically says the reason she's an actor is Nichelle Nichols, like seeing Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek. Basically, what Martin Luther King said to Nichelle Nichols about why she couldn't quit Star Trek was true, which was seeing you on the screen is incredibly important to our people. That was what he he basically said to. Her. And Whoopi Goldberg was sat at home watching Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek and going, oh. Maybe I can be an actor. Yeah. Right. And it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time, yeah. Um, and that the, the, there is that kind of implication that, yes, Tasha Yar was killed off in an absolutely pointless way, but 
we've written this episode around a conceit where essentially if Tasha Yar's death Tasha Yar's sacrifice didn't happen everything goes to shit now obviously that's not direct because the events that the Enterprise see have to go back in time to to re-engage with have nothing to do with her. I don't. I don't know if she'd even if that character. The character was probably a child at the time, but it's making her the linchpin. Like you have to go back in time and change something to make this show work, because Star Trek did like obviously indirectly got better after she left. So to to give this implication that Starfleet itself is better if you go back and die and don't stay on but if you have to stay off that's that's kind of the best case scenario i think yeah so i think just to like explain to anyone who hasn't seen it basically what what happens is cuz what the timeline has altered there are certain changes first of all everybody has a fancy belt yeah. uh, <laughs> and the enterprise is now a warship they're at war with the klingons and as a result of that warf is not a tactical tasha is and I will say the one problem with this episode is I feel they missed the trick in not having Worf be the captain of one of the Klingon vessels later. I was certain that was going to happen because as soon as because basically the the conclusion of the ending of the episode happens with about twelve minutes to go, and then yeah. a, and then a, a a Klingon warbird bird of prey was what is Romulan bird of prey Klingon warbird. Because Star Trek writers of the past, yeah. the two biggest protagonists, like antagonists in the entirety of fucking thing, you couldn't have given them different sounding ship names. <laughs> I know, right? Do you know what the Borg have? A cube. I don't get that confused with anything else. No, it's a Borg cube, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so instantly recognisable. Um, it's a big square in space. Um, but at least the Romulan Warbird and the Klingon Bird of Prey or whatever way around, at least they're completely different ships from each other. What's that? They both go invisible. Okay, right, fine. Fuck you then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, and um, is this... I, I don't really know. I haven't really watched much further than this or at least haven't come across it. But that, but the Yesterday's Enterprise universe, like it lives on, right? It, it kind of... Do we go back to that at some point? Or is it is it right. at some point? So... It's important to assess here because I was certain in my head I've seen Worf like as a Klingon warrior in charge of a, a, a ship, but I don't think that's to do with this. No, this is to do with um, the fact that there is a mirror universe that you can get stuck in yeah. via transporter accident. That is from it's where the um, it's from the original series and it's where the evil Spock turns up with a goatee. And it's where the concept of the evil twin having a goatee basically in popular culture comes from that episode of Star Trek. Yeah. And that's completely separate to this. But also confusingly, I'm fairly certain there have been like novelizations of like Star Trek novelizations that have been written that are set in the yesterday's uh, Enterprise timeline. Yeah. But also, even more confusingly, Tasha doesn't die. She gets captured yeah, by the Romulans that's right. yeah. uh, and has a Romulan daughter who is also played by Denise Crosby. That's right. So, yeah, it's, there's a lot here. 
to... Well, I, I did get a laugh out of one moment in this. The minute the timeline changed in, right, all of the lighting changed to this horrible, horrible universe where all of... Like, the Star Fleet doesn't look a nice place to be. It's all poorly lit. It's dark. There's, like, everybody's underlit. But it basically looked like new Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, it's turned into Discovery. The worst possible outcome. <laughs> Yeah, that, like as much as I love Picard season three, like make it a bit brighter, lads. Do you know what I mean? My favourite moment in Picard season three is when they are back on the Enterprise D and they turn the lights on and they slowly come up. And I was so worried they were going to do a oh we have limited power, the lights can only go to a certain level, bullshit or something like that. But then the lights just went up to like being nice. Like a yeah. Here's the thing: you can make Star. Starfleet look cool with like bad light, but you also don't make it feel like it meets the health and safety regulations of an actual workplace. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> uh, unless everyone's carting about with one of those handheld torches, yeah, I'm yeah, still furious about those. They're so impractical. O'Brien watch. Um. I have a question about this timeline that I don't think is established. Um, I think I think is this an O'Brienless timeline? Do you know what Laura brought that up? <laughs> yeah, she was like O'Brien wouldn't serve on a warship. Yes, he would. O'Brien fought in the Cardassian did. War. Did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I reckon it's just that he's dead. He did so. <laughs> That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I'm glad that that's, that got fixed. <laughs> uh, we we should mention who's in this episode as well. So the oh, yeah. Enterprise C turns up. Uh, the captain is played. Captain Garrett is played by Trisha O'Neill, who is a quintessential that lady actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is one of those ones. She's been in Murder She Wrote five times as wow. different characters. Wowzer! Did she ever do the killer? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I will report back if I see a. In my watch through of Murder She Wrote, nice. uh, I'm up to like season five, uh, so, and and of course, uh, Richard Castile is the. I don't know if he's the first officer because he's a lieutenant, but he's the. It's got to be because he takes over after Garrett dies. Yeah, but I think the actual first officer is already dead when the episode oh, starts because yeah. they got up. But yeah, it's Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. Who, <laughs> <laughs> bizarrely. Especially after watching this episode, it's kind of confusing why he never... Why was he never a leading man? He's handsome enough. He seems to be charismatic enough. he's got that Um, easy charm. Obviously, he's funny, uh, and that's why Shooter McGavin was a thing. But I don't... I've never seen him be a good guy, I don't think. No, he's, he's, he's like... I don't like I say he's been typecast, but if I was making anything and I wanted, say, a douchebag lawyer, oh yeah, 100%. He, he, he's the he's the actor I go for. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. He's, <laughs> is it that he's too handsome? Is that the problem? I feel like he, <laughs> he looks like a character from like Boston Legal, with yeah, and James yeah. Spader, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks like somebody who doesn't work at their law firm, but somebody who works at like another law firm that they regularly have a run-ins against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can see him being like a, a recurring antagonist in Ali McBeal. <laughs> but, yeah, but he's because I guess 
because again, I haven't really looked into this, so I don't know if you have any expertise on it. Why? Why did they skip from Enterprise B to Enterprise D? Because I was trying to remember because the enter like, so it's the Enterprise obviously through the TOS right, the seventeen seventeen oh one, and then when that gets destroyed and the voyage home, they rechristen it the Enterprise A, and then the Enterprise A lasts one film, and then it's the yeah. Enterprise D uh, B right. But so the the B had already. Oh, had it already been used? I, I, I mainly think that the reason is they didn't want to rely on legacy characters. Yeah. And the problem would be, if you do the, the B, it's the ship immediately after. Yeah, that's a fair point, yeah. If you do that, then you have the problem that, like, oh, we should be hearing from Admiral Kirk. Like, it's that thing. Whereas by shifting it enough into the future... Because TNG does very minimal sort of fan service in that respect there's um bones is in the very first episode um obviously kirk is in the first movie yeah uh and there is one episode where scotty turns up and yeah. uh for for literally one episode and i believe there's a two-parter that spocks in but that was made specifically to promote the fact that the last original cast movie was being made that makes sense, was being yeah. released uh so I mean, when you consider how much fan service you tend to get in modern Star Trek, yeah. it's kind of ridiculous that that's all they did. I think they even, like, Voyager had some... Had a... So, in Tuvok in Voyager originally served on the... the his first job yeah. was on the ship that Sulu is captain of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because they, because they, because he doesn't have the Vulcaneers, but they're basically like it's him. Yeah, so yeah. they rec they retconned that in the uh, yeah they retconned that in the in the in Voyage to make it no 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 that is, he does he does have the point he is that is too big. So yeah that but yeah this was a period of not really doing like when I say the Star Trek doesn't do a lot of fan service at this time period, Deep Space Nine. Has doesn't have a Borg episode. Yeah, that's really weird, isn't it? Yeah, because I guess what what would it what would it be? Because the Borg can't get to Deep Space Nine. Once that happens, it's game over. Yeah, are you, are you, like... <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you could have uh, Miles O'Brien single handedly defeats the Borg, but that would really take away from Janeway later. So. <laughs> And it's not as if you could do some sort of storyline in which the shapeshifters and the Borg team up. That would be ludicrous. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. It's, so yeah, it's it's weird that they, so I think that basically they didn't want to do the fan service, so they jumped. But I don't know how they decided on Enterprise D. I mean, maybe it might, I just genuinely think they might have gotten B's too soon. Yeah. Maybe C is also too soon, and then they went okay D's. Far enough that maybe his way, but also early enough in the alphabet that if this is successful, we can keep making enterprises. Yeah, because uh, the timelines are real. Because they, they they say that like oh the because in the prime timeline, what do they think happened yeah. to the Enterprise C? Do they think it just disappeared? In the main timeline, yeah. They say in the main timeline, it goes down in history that it died yeah. trying to save this thing. So yeah, in yeah in the yeah this timeline, I don't know. They're like oh yeah, it just went missing. But so it's like so. Enterprise A gets 
destroyed in a Star Trek movie, doesn't it? Because it get burns up on in re-entry. The yeah, Enterprise, the Enterprise B is the one that gets destroyed by the Nexus in, uh, and, and that's grabs Kirk and it. I don't. I, that's all I know. So the, and the C blows up here. The D gets crashed into a planet by Deanna Troy. God knows what happens with the the E is seen in is around. But so the, the we have so the E uh, we know this. Uh, something happened to the E involving Worf. Yeah, that's all okay. We know. That, yeah, that's all. The the F is seen in Picard, and that is from there's a Star Trek online game. That has the Enterprise F as a ship, and they basically copied that design across as like a bit of fan service to them. Shelby gets killed immediately. Yeah, and that, yeah. and then yeah, and then the the G is the current Enterprise, and it's the Titan. At the end of yeah, it is the Titan yeah. rechristened. Yeah, that's yeah. So, but I know that there's like there's an Enterprise from the future that like is there's a temp there's a lot of time travel bollocks in Voyager. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. I was gonna say this. The temporal time directive is a lot fucking clearer than the normal prime directive. Which is don't <laughs> don't don't fuck fuck about with the past. Just yeah. don't. <laughs> it just the, the, the temporal prime directive just says don't. <laughs> What's that? Leave it. Don't don't unless you're Scotty and you need to buy some glass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I question. Uh, yeah. How many how many buttons does it take to eject a warp core? Because it seems like that seem, that seems to be a solution to a lot of problems. And uh, but I guess you you wouldn't want anyone doing it accidentally. So what what do you reckon is the procedure? Do you think it's a password situation? I reckon it's the same as a I reckon it's the same as an auto destruct. You need two senior officers, yeah, to confer it with each other. Because um, um, I, I, I can't imagine it takes it can take too long. I can't I can't even ima- I can't imagine it would even be like, can you get down here from the bridge? I imagine it has to be a thing that Scotty or Jordy can can press three buttons, and it, and it happens. Because also you you don't because are easy like you you might have to eject the warp core for like survival reasons, like for oh we have to like and the and the the, the Abrams one they do it so that it will blow them out of the path of the encroaching black hole or whatever um but also but in this these jolly's just like oh this thing's leaking better get a shot at this <laughs> yeah it's 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 in this you guys we've got about two minutes before the warp core blows up so they do it but in general you're not getting like a 20 minute warning that you need to eject yeah. the warp core unless you're stuck in a weird time dilation or something yeah so yeah it it, it needs to be it shouldn't be a big red button that you can lean on. Yeah. But it should be a big red button with a little plastic cover. That's exactly what I was thinking, <laughs> yeah. There's certain things that, like, you can put all the computers you want, but there's certain things that should just be a switch. Yeah, because it, it needs to be not so complicated that Jordy can't do it, like, with just his hands. But yeah. it, can't, it can't be so simple that a Borg can come on and pick a lock and then just press it. Well, it's not even just Geordie can do it. Like, it can't rely on just the scene. Like, it, it has to be something that anyone can do. Yeah. Because if Geordie's asleep, you can't get him. Oh, can you get to engineering? You've got four minutes. You've got 
a minute and a half to get here before we're all dead. <laughs> I will, I, my, my quarters are two minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm closer to the holodeck. I'm going to see Leah Brahms. <laughs> um, we got the first ever, I believe, the first ever shout out to Cetacean Ops in this episode. <laughs> really? I yeah. didn't catch that. Where was, where it's was right, that? It's right at the beginning when Guinan is walking through 10 forward and there's a call out on the PA system for someone to report to Cetacean Ops. <laughs> which I was like, ah, oh, the dolphins. Excellent. Because I, I guess also... we, we never see them before Lower Decks, right? As far as no. I'm aware. And in Lower Decks, they make the genius decision to give them uniforms. So... <laughs> That's, ca- as, that's canon as far as I'm concerned. They are wearing uniforms. The, the, here's the thing, right? If you could make a whole thing about how Ro Laren has to have a Bajoran earring, like, oh, it's a breach of uniform. It's like, you, it shows there is a set uniform that Starfleet have. Like, it doesn't matter what species you are. That's what you get. Yeah. Uh, and like, I don't see why our flippant friends would be... <laughs> It's it's the dumbest fucking thing that Star Trek accidentally confirmed that dolphins and whales are higher life forms. Yeah. <laughs> and then did nothing with it. I mean it's ex- it'd be expensive though, wouldn't it? Like and and like what like what sort of power do the does cetacean ops have? Cuz I guess when well I guess they they breathe oxygen, right? So they have to they they have to come out of the water. So life support but then life support could last longer for them because if they go up and take a breath and then go back under the water, I don't know, dolphins, how long do they spend underwater? Like 30 minutes? So do you give yeah. them enough buttons? To, like, what is their purpose? <laughs> what is their purpose? Ha ha ha. Like, if, they, if, they, if they're in a situation where it's like, right, okay, so everyone, all the, I bet they have, I bet they have a, a slur uh, for non-dolphins. Um... Uh, air swimmers or something, right? Um, and I, I bet they're like, uh-oh, all the air swimmers have all died. We've got 25 minutes worth of oxygen and there's a star base at warp one or warp, let's say three, that's pretty safe, that's uh, 15 minutes away. Do we care enough about Cetacean Ops to give them enough buttons to fly essentially a morgue ship to a star base? <laughs> get there and then be like we did it we saved we saved the enterprise d and they're like well you can't well everyone else is dead and they're like yeah but we made it the dolphins the cetacean ops we're here well you're assuming that the people work the dolphins working on cetacean ops like don't have their own agenda is that what you're suggesting what I'm suggesting is maybe they have like their own jobs and ranks. Maybe one of them just happens. You're on station ops because that's where you live, but maybe you're like one of the guys who does the navigating. <laughs> what if it turns out as well that dolphins, like obviously when you go to SeaWorld and you see dolphins jumping through hoops and stuff, you're a bit like, that's just a shame. Those those creatures are probably at least partly sentient and we're just doing this for our amusement. What if they really enjoy it? What if part of your job <laughs> of being an air swimmer who works at Cetacean Ops is that occasionally you need to go in and hold a hoop out over the water for them to jump through for their own amusement. And at the end of the day, you're probably, you're, you're probably the only one that they respect, right? Because, <laughs> like, think about how... Because, like, we've... Like, it, it could be argued that humans have been massively oppressive to dolphins for centuries, right? Look, I'm just going to say, if, Mark, if, when... if O'Brien is still angry 
about the way that the Brits <laughs> treated Ireland, then all of Cetacean Ops absolutely have the right to be furious at every human being. Look, my, on multiple occasions, I have suggested that for April Fools or something like that, we do an episode where we do an episode of Sequest DSV, right? <laughs> we, so I'm more than willing to talk about dolphins uh, a lot because you could do that for ages in that. But I just, I don't know what I, I just think because the thing is, it's not just going to be dolphins. There must no. be intelligent life out in space that are part of the Federation that live aquatically. Like, well, they now reckon, like like real life science now reckons that octopus, o- o- octopuses, which I think is the correct way to do it, octopuses yeah. are in fact sentient. Yeah. The problem is octopuses sacrifice their own life to bring their young into the world so they can't have any established culture. Ah, yeah, that's, uh, the, that's the issue, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So somebody needs to like tell them to stop doing that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's that's what they need is human beings coming in opposing other values on them. Well, not not any human beings. I'm assuming these would be white people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think of uh, Captain Garrett uh, um, in this episode? I'm I'm a fan. I am a fan. I like you don't. I feel like Captain Garrett. Obviously, we don't really get to see a lot of her. But there is the implication that you don't you don't get to be captain of the Enterprise without a bit of something about you, right? Yeah, like you you you're the you're the captain of the flagship. Like you're you're on you're on the third version of of a ship that has saved the universe multiple times, uh, as as well as being the kind of figurehead of the exploratory arm of Starfleet, yeah. which is what their entire shtick is. So, yeah, you have to be incredible. And again, I, I don't know this for a fact, but someone on the... I, I bet there's, like, a run of novels about her. Yeah, yeah. I bet I we know quite a lot about her in the Apocrypha. I am a very big fan of her being basically told, all oh, right, so the timeline has changed. There's been a war and billions of people have died, but we think it's possible to avoid this if you go back through your time hole and all die. And she's like... Well, okay, I'll do that then. Like, there's not, there's, yeah. not, there's no dicking about. Like, if like, there's certain captains we've met in Starfleet who might have had a thing or two to say about that. Shaw wouldn't have done it, and that's like, <laughs> to his, and that's to his, that's to his credit. Like, yeah, oh, big but, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like the entire crew of the Enterprise C just go, no, yeah, we'll just all go die to stop there from being. Because it is they they claim that because it's it was all so there's been billions of people who've died, but Picard also tells. Garrett is like, just to let you know, the war's actually going really badly. We're not yeah. publicly acknowledging it, but we've probably got about six months left before we become part of the Klingon Empire. <laughs> Which I, I do I do love. It's uh, Yeah, it's, it's such a good episode, though. Yeah. And it's, the, the thing is that, that Guinan knows the timeline has changed, but she's not sure how. Because in official Star Trek lore... Guinan is an Illurian, and I believe the technical term. I'm not sure. Like I did, I did some digging through the um, the, the, the Wikipedia's and stuff. And Illurians are a bit weird. Yeah, uh, strange. It, there is non-specifically weird and long-lived. That's <laughs> in the in the sort of weird, like the 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 super apocrypha, like the Star Trek crossovers and stuff. 
Uh, Star Trek has crossed over several times with Doctor Who. Um, And it'll usually be uh, the next gen crew and like one of the newer Doctors. Uh, but the but the uh, the Time Lords and the Allurians, so they 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 sort of are aware of each other's existence, even though they're from separate universes. Yeah. So yeah, I think so, it's I think it's it's like a thing of she has a sense of essentially a sense of continuity. Yeah, the Allurians Elo- are referred to in some of the lore as the listeners, which is probably why they're like. Uh, She's a bar mate, and if you think about it, it's probably where the nature of their run-ins with Q sort of come in. Like, oh, Q's like you can't really get away with being an super being who can change the universe if you do it, and the person you've done it to is like, change that back. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, change it back? You can't. You shouldn't remember that I, I've done anything. It's like, well, yeah, but I do. Yeah, <laughs> I can. I can. I can see that you've done it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's annoying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, it's. But I do kind of like that we never really get an explanation. I, I'm worried that there'll be a point in some of the new tracks where we'll get a fucking deep dive into the Elyrians, and it's just like no, like there's there's loads of weird ancient species f- hanging around in the Star Trek universe, usually as a big space head, uh, yeah, and we I... never get much info on any of them. Yeah, uh, and it's fine because that's that's the point. That's why we're out there, yeah, to seek out new life and new civilizations. We're not necessarily. We don't need to understand everything because if we understood everything, there'd be nothing to look for. Yeah. So, if if we if we get absolute deep dives into the mechanics of how everything works, it's it it kind of makes it less magical, which to me. Is kind of weird because I'm I'm the I'm the guy who, like I I only fully appreciate a magic trick when I know how it's done. Yeah, uh, because that that doesn't take away the magic for me. If anything, that adds to the magic uh, of of knowing all oh, that. That's because I know that it's not real magic, so I I know that this person has to have great skill to have done that, and how they did it is always very impressive and interesting. Uh, but with fiction. I'm just like, nope, leave some things as a mystery. It, there should always be mystery. If you explain everything, there's nothing left to, to talk about. Yeah, I'm certain someone somewhere is working out exactly how that episode of Strange New Worlds, how killing a child could lead to a floating city. I'm, I'm actually certain someone yeah. is trying to work that out. But you know what? It doesn't actually Don't matter well. for the point of the episode. Uh- yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> if you're writing something as an allegory... Rather yeah. than writing it so that everyone thinks you're the smartest woman in Scotland, um, <laughs> then you don't have to fucking explain everything. And in fact, your 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 world actually works better if you don't explain everything because your explanations for things are garbage. But you don't let other people try and explain it, which is the real fucking issue. <laughs> Like there is science fiction where there is hard science fiction where everything is fucking explained and that is the expanse, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, nobody has a, can travel faster than light because the writer can't work out how we would travel faster than light because no one does. If you knew how it was done, we'd do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we just go, yeah, they they have that, 
And yeah, keeping stuff like that vague. And it's just like, yeah, because how often does the timeline get changed? Admittedly, in Star Trek, a lot. But (laughs) there's a great series of episodes. Uh, This is something you will never rarely, very rarely hear me say this sentence. There are a couple of great episodes of Star Trek Voyager. (laughs) That's the bit you'll never hear me say that often. Uh, There are a couple of great episodes that deal with like time travel. And they've got... um, uh, uh, Red Foreman from that '70s show in them, yeah, uh, and they're, they're absolutely great. When we ever, if we eventually get to Voyager, we'll get to them. But yeah, I, 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 this is such a good episode. Yeah, yeah. It's also Wolf's first prune juice. Uh, I think that Wolf, becomes our running feature. Uh, that is Wolf's go-to drink because Wolf, because Wolf holds himself to like the standards of Starfleet, which means. Unlike normal Vulcan, sorry, unlike normal Klingons, he can't be fucking half cut out all the time. So he drinks that instead of blood wine. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. So <laughs> I, do, I really like as well that um, the Worf had nothing to do in this episode, so they because he because he wouldn't be there, so they they do, they gave him something that was quite interesting, like a nice little character building scenario and it also works because you're following the character of Worf yeah then the timeline changes and the camera pans over and he's not there and it's Tasha and you go oh we're like things have changed like it's a great really good way of doing it and I will say that Worf at tactical just looks right yeah it look yeah it just looks better than and that's not a knock on on Denise Crosby, who is a fine actress, and I think if she'd stayed on board the show and had a chance to stretch her legs, we would have gotten some very interesting stuff with her. Yeah, but but I also completely understand why she left the show. She wasn't on Star Trek: The Next Generation. She was on Star Trek: The Next Generation season one, yeah. which are two very different things. Yeah, I agreed. <laughs> Didn't even really get a show out in Picard season three. I think we've seen her once. We see a hologram of her in Data's mind. Yeah, Data's memories which he is enough. gives it's over fine. to Law. Is one of his core memories is that time he banged Tasha Yar. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I really... It's a, it's just such a well-written episode. It has, like, those moments. Because I also like that not only does the Enterprise-C get to sacrifice itself, everybody on the Enterprise-D is fighting off the Klingons when they turn up. And they're pretty certain that if they're wrong about the timeline changing, they're going to fucking die. Yeah. When Riker, Riker gets killed. Well, I... Like, yeah, Riker gets killed. Yeah, and the... What they're facing is... is I, I mean, I can't imagine this was unintentional. But they're basically facing the Kobayashi Maru. Because it's the three yeah. birds of prey. Yeah. Yeah. I... That's the one thing I would have changed about this episode. Two things I would have changed. One, I would have had... They get like a, a com, like, surrender and prepare to be boarded. And Picard's like, ah, never. Uh, has like his moment. I would have had that on screen and I would have had that be Worf. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I would have had the Enterprise D get blown up. Oof. Because the timeline resets the minute the Enterprise C has gone through the, the rift. So the Enterprise D can be back immediately. Yeah. So if you if you can, all I'm going to say is, if you have the opportunity to blow up the Enterprise, 
and not and still have the Enterprise at the end of the episode, I'm of the opinion that you should always take that. Like or uh, what they 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 do the old saucer separate. Yeah, and send the civilians off in the saucer, and then the Klingons blow up the saucer. Oh, but there there are no civilians on board the Enterprise. The oh no, you're right. Like, no, well, yeah, it's a warship, yeah. so maybe it can't even do that. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, <laughs> well, why would it need to? Yeah, yeah. Why is Wesley there? That's my big question. Why and why is he in a uniform? I imagine that maybe he just like like the story is that maybe he just went to try out for Starfleet a lot sooner yeah maybe maybe the thing we didn't get mentioned in this was that in this timeline his dad's alive yeah (laughs) right and instead we go to a different timeline where not only is uh wesley's dad dead and wesley off traveling the universe as some sort of weird higher being he's not even any longer his mum's favorite son Or, or in fact, anybody's favourite crusher son. If if your favourite crusher son is still Wesley after watching Picard season three and not Jack Crusher, I I I don't I don't know what you're looking for from television. Yeah, what do you want? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That man is that man is so damn charismatic. I would like I've said before, happily watch a show where it's the new adventures of the Enterprise with him on board. He's great. The only the only thing that I want if if they if they don't do the Enterprise G show with him on there as the left hand man is uh is if he gets to be Bond. Oh, he'd be a great Bond. Yeah. Cause I was I was trying to show him to my mum yesterday, we were we were talking about new Bond and like Ed Spilliers, uh Apparently, and, and, I, and I'm saying this as a fucking troll, right? As an absolute chud of a man. Um, but he, he tends to look really good on screen, but doesn't photograph very well. Right, okay. Uh, so uh, so I was like, oh, look at this guy. Mom was like, oh, I don't know about that. And I was like, no, if you watch Picard season three, you'll see he's actually super suave and handsome yeah. and cool. Yeah. I, I, ideally, this is the thing. Ideally, I would say that the next Bond should be black. But I think we missed the opportunity to make Idris Elba Bond because I think he's too old now. And I, the only other of the right age, who's like British popular black actor, uh, black actor is um, John Boyega. And this isn't a knock on John Boyega. I just don't think he could do Bond. Uh, and that's like that's nothing to do with like whatever bullshit you want to talk about. Rest. I just think he's a very good actor in a very specific roles. I just don't think he's got the Bond. Whatever it is, See, there's a I, little something you need for that character. I just don't think he's got it. I don't. Um, my ideal trajectory for Bond is look. We can all admit there's 25 Bond movies and they're all exactly the same movie. Arguably, apart from Goldeneye and Casino Royale. Um, but if you're going to do Bond, like Bond can't keep up with the present time. For various reasons, like he is, Bond exists because it's a very specific masculine fantasy. Yeah, of be a super cool, handsome guy who travels to interesting places, fucks beautiful women, has fun gadgets, and kills the bad guy. Right, which feels like it should be slaughterable everywhere, but it 
also isn't. And I feel like any attempt to dilute that kind of invalidates the completely valid fantasy of what it is. So for me, I I mean, I, I think that Bond should always be set in the 60s. Um, so this is because it means that my... the gadgets then and you don't even have to be funny about it like you don't even have to be parody about it but just like here's the gadgets here's a gun here's a cigarette that shoots poison darts um here's a pen that's also a grenade like because that's that's the that's the core of bond and i feel like if we just did that and just kept him in the 1960s and made it essentially a period piece uh it would fix a lot the problem with that is that pretty much precludes a non-white bond that so here is my theory and um this is so i've genuinely believed for quite a while now um there's no law that says that they can't like that the bond franchise has to what i'm saying is if you're listening to this the broccoli family there's no rule that says you can only make one bond film at once yeah so what you should do is make a direct sequel to no time to die in which Bond is dead, and that team of like Money Penny, the new 007 agent that they they brought in, um, that uh, Ben Wheatley as Q, uh, Ray Fiennes as, as as M, do that and continue telling those stories like modern day Bond style stuff, all of the trappings, and at the same time do a period piece in which John Hamm is James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, set yeah. in the 1960s and 60s. And, and what you could do is you could make him very tongue in cheek, misogynistic stuff about where he goes, oh, it says something. And we as the audience are all like, oh, that's not acceptable to say Bond. And equally, dads will be like, yeah, that's right. Right? <laughs> so you can, you can thoroughly have your cake and eat it with the Bond character. Yeah. If you if you announce that you if you announce tomorrow your next movie was those two films would be coming out the same year. I would go see both of them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Then you get to have Bond and your cinematic universe. Yeah, and the old Bond ones get to be, like, you get to put him in... You can do stuff like you get to put him in the DB5 again. Like, the Goldfinger car that's got an ejector seat. You can have that back. That's what I That's what I do. But I'm not in charge of James Bond, despite the letters I have written. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, great episode of Star Trek. Great yep. Yep. Great episode. Yeah. Go watch this go one. Go watch it. It's, it's fantastic. fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah it is. I didn't it mention it. The Enterprise, the Enterprise C crew have got the old uh, movie era yeah, Rafa fucking Khan. uniforms. I fucking love them. Yeah, love that them. was cool. Love them a bit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, well, bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.